This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Let's talk about the next generation of fantasy football at FanDuel. You select a team of Premier League players for a single day's fixtures. That means you're not locked in for the whole season. You can play, watch and win in one day. When your players nail it on the pitch, you rack up points and jump up the real money leaderboard. FanDuel's scoring system uses Opta stats to reflect every player's true on-field contribution. So, outscore your opponents and win cash for your football expertise. Every Premier League match day with FanDuel and just for Homestale radio listeners we've got an extra special offer right now when you sign up use the promo code PALACE that means if you don't make money in your first contest FanDuel will refund your entry fee up to £10 so go to FanDuel.co.uk and use the promo code PALACE to grab the offer now what are you waiting for? Terms apply over 18s only please play responsibly Homestyle Radio Preview Podcast, sponsored by FanDuel.co.uk, the next generation of fantasy football. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Homestyle Radio Preview Podcast. I'm your host, Terence Ford of RedandBlueArmy.co.uk, and this week I am joined by a man that is cycling to every Crystal Premier League match this season, Stephen Kingdom, and whole radio chartist. Lee Staples. In the next 45 minutes, we'll be getting to know our panel, discussing whether or not this is the start to another dismal party run, what tactics we should deploy against the Scousers, and whether or not Ben Teke can haunt, haunt his old club. We will also be talking to Peter Phillips from the Cop Table as they give us a rundown on Liverpool's season so far, before moving into predictions and our classic match against the Reds. So jump on our jump on your bike and let's pedal through all of our beautiful content and hopefully we won't leave you too saddle sore by the end. Every picture tells a story. Keep up to date with ours on Instagram at Homestale Radio. This week I am joined by Stephen Kingdom. Hello, Stephen. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. And Lee Staples, who will be on trial. Hello, Lee. Welcome. 
Good evening. Thank you for having me. No worries. Stephen, you lunatic. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> tell, tell us what you're doing. Yeah, I'm cycling uh, to and from every Premier League match, Palace Premier League match this season to raise money for a disabled children's charity uh, called Contact the Family. Okay, and where did you, where did you get the idea from? Um, <clears throat> I, 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 over a number of years, I've read a, a few books of people doing mad cycling things, um, like, for example, a guy who cycled all the way to Australia to watch the Ashes. And I, and I thought for a bit I fancied doing something stupid like that. So um, couldn't quite... Couldn't quite I go that scale with a, with a young family to look after, but I thought doing every game would be an interesting one. And I, uh, I took a voluntary redundancy package um, in the summer, which means I can afford to take a year off work, and I thought I'd give it a go. Oh, I was wondering how you was doing it logistically. Um, Borough and Sunderland, a couple of weeks apart, that must have been tough. Yeah, it was. Actually, the worst bit was um, Sunderland, then Everton, because... Uh, they were back to back, so I, I literally got home on the Tuesday uh, evening from Sunderland. Uh, saw my kids, uh, it, it sort of put them to bed, took them to school in the morning, and then set off forever. Uh, oh, so that was wow. that was actually the that was that was the longest sort of combined stint. I think I worked out it was uh, one thousand one hundred sixty nine miles combined Sunderland and everything. Oh blimey! And how roughly long is that in the saddle? Uh, well, that's, that was, so it was uh, 12 days actual cycling, about eight hours a day, something like that. Oh, <laughs> um, So is it true that um, your thighs are now bigger than Bakary Sacco's belly? <laughs> they, uh, they definitely feel, feel firmer than they used to. There's, uh, there's less fat on them. But unfortunately, I haven't lost as much weight as I hoped. I've got a bit of a belly myself. And, uh, I thought it was full weight, but it hasn't as much as I think. Well, there's still a long way to go yet, Stephen. Um, so you, I see that you've already raised 5,000 of your 10,000 target. Um, we yeah. will obviously share all your socials and stuff. So everybody look out for that on the Twitter accounts and make sure that you help Stephen out with a donation for a great cause. Um, and obviously we have uh, Lee in the background there as well. Lee? Um, Evening. How are you feeling about your trial, mate? Yeah, um, I'm trying to impress the management and um, yeah, hopefully get given a um, long-term contract at the end of my trial. See how it goes for both parties, I see. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> right, um, we've been using this part of the show because a lot of the time the panels panellists are new to let everyone get to know you. So first, um, I'm going to ask you both. Uh, I'll start with you, Lee. What was your first ever Palace match, mate? Uh, funny enough, it was uh, Liverpool, in fact, um, in December 1990 at the uh, ripe old age of six years old. Um, for anyone who doesn't remember that game, um, it was the 1-0 victory, which um, it was a top-of-the-table clash um, between, between us and the Scousers. Um, yeah, six months or so after the famous 4-3, and uh, we come away with a 1-0 victory. And um, after that, my uh, stint in the half away, I was uh, hooked ever since. Was it was it Mark Bright who scored the winner in that one? Yeah, I think it was. Um, Ian Wright put it, towards, um, put it into the box, and then uh, Brighty... Tuck it away, yeah. Uh, tucked it away. Tucked scuffed, it away. Scuffed it away. I think it was. Yeah. Wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, Stephen, what about you, mate? I knew I knew you were going to ask me this because I've listened to the podcast before. Um, and actually, the embarrassing answer is I really don't know. Uh, my dad used to take us to the odd game in the 1970s. I'm a bit older. Um, I think it might have been Stoke or Wolves sometime in about 1977, but uh, I really don't know which one was first. What's, what's the first one you remember? Oh, um, I remember one around 
saying then about, I think it was Stoke, because I remember it was on the big match the next day, but I can't remember much, much detail about it. Um, I mean, I really, I didn't really properly start supporting Palace when I was about 14, and we'd actually coincided with when Steve Koppel took over, and I remember okay. some pretty, pretty dire games from the first sort of season of that, but it, it got better pretty quickly. And I remember that game against Liverpool in 1990 very well indeed, yeah. Indeed. Um, OK, then. So, if you've been going since the 70s, Stephen, who's, who's your favourite all-time Palace player? Yeah, I think it's Dougie Friedman. I mean, obviously, the way he left on the management um, made it a bit, you know, sort of sort of slightly slightly tainted it. But I think the two spells of the player and the way he played, uh, Dougie Friedman. Yeah, no, Dougie Freeman's a great show. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge Dougie Freeman fan, as listeners to this will know. Lee, what about you, mate? Um, yeah, it's quite a tough one. We've had so many great players over the years, um, especially like, since I've been supporting them the last 26 years or so. Um, but the, the player is sort of, you know, the only player I've actually had on the back of my shirt who, whose name always comes up is uh, Lombardo. Um, you know, as a 14-year-old fan, he's just absolutely incredible. Um, best player, and I still stand by that statement to this day, he's the best player I've ever seen at this club, and you know, obviously Benteke is looking really good at the moment uh, hopefully he can you know, emulate that but yeah, Lombardo for me is just unbelievable Yeah, I mean we're very close in age, and again for me just being in that teenage years, you know, pushing on towards the end of secondary school and just all of a sudden having this world class player that nobody at school could take the piss out about, <laughs> it was just it was brilliant to have him, um, and cough, blimey, I'd love him in the team right now when he's peak. Um, and we'll finish on favourite Palace goalie. What what you got there for us? Without a shadow of a doubt, still get goosebumps. Um, you know, heads hair stand on the back of my neck when I see this goal still for about the thousandth time. It's got to be there's a whole second goal at Brighton away in the playoffs. So lucky enough to get a ticket for the game. Went down there, obviously underdogs, and. Honestly, just words cannot describe how you know how that felt when that went in, and it just sort of put us on the road to you know where we are now. So you know, not only just going to Wembley and winning, beating the biggest rivals in their new stadium, and then look where we are now. So um, yeah, definitely, there's a half second goal. Yeah, I made a prize fool of myself when we scored that goal. I was, <laughs> uh, was right next to the tarpaulin that separates the fans, and I did a big massive. Swan dive, like <laughs> Shaky Coochie style, right onto the tarpaulin. And what about you, Stephen? What's your favourite goal, mate? Yeah, isn't that one? That one's pretty high up there. But for me, it's still Hopkins in the last minute at Wembley. Mm. Having yeah. having been there the year before and seeing Claridge chin one in to see Apple, you know, it's not just the timing, the importance of the goal, but just the quality of the finish, the, the combination of the quality of the finish and the importance of the goal. It, it's still Hopkins in the last minute for me. Yeah, I always think of that goal and think he couldn't have taken the ball with his hand and placed it anywhere better than where he put it with his foot. It's an absolutely incredible goal. Um, oh, I said, um, I've been trying not to say, um, but I've said it. <laughs> uh, Carlos Alberto sadly died this week, the Brazilian defender, um, the guy who scored perhaps uh, one of the greatest World Cup goals of all time, that one with the outside of the boot. Stephen, who's, who's your, who would you say is the best Palace defender that you've ever seen? Cool, that's a hard one because I've seen a few. Um, I mean, I could kind of cheat and say Kenny Sampson. But I don't. I don't remember. I mean, because he is probably the best defender we've ever had. But yeah. I don't really remember him that well in the flesh. Um, I think I'm, I'm going to put two together. I think Andy Thorne and Eric Young as a centre back partnership the year we came third in the league, 
I said mm-hmm. they were just phenomenal together. The way they played, the way they complemented each other. Um, I mean, they were just such a good centre back partnership. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good choice, and everyone talks about those two. And again, it's another two. If we could have that sort of consistent, solid centre back pairing at the moment, would be ideal. What, what about you, Lee? You can't you can't cheat and say Kenny. <laughs> yeah, um, I'd probably say recently Scott Dan probably up there but before Craig Moore's I was a big fan of Craig Moore but he was only here for a little you know what 20 odd games I think it was um Scott Danian probably you know in terms of longevity he's played over 100 games amount of goals he scored kept us up in a important member of the team so um yeah I'd say Scott Dan is probably the best defender I've seen Craig, Craig Moore got repossessed by Rangers. You haven't paid, we're taking him back. <laughs> so he was, he was indeed a brilliant <laughs> defender. Um, right, we'll get into talking about the game. And we're going to start with, uh, well, you know, Adam Pardew. He wins a few in a row and then he loses a few in a row. And that's kind of been him since his West Ham days, really. Is this the start of another one, Lee? Is this the start of we've gone five unbeaten, now we're going to lose five in a row? I really, really hope not. But, um, you know, it's not looking great at the moment um, in terms of, you know, a couple of defeats. I know, obviously, we don't want to, you know, hold a whole bit of hysteria, hysteria sort of thing. Um, but I really can't see us getting anything on Saturday. And I'm struggling to sort of see where this change of style is coming from. Um, you know, what sort of style is it he's thinking? Um yeah, I don't want to sound too negative or too downbeat, but we're playing a very, very good Liverpool team, which are which are flying at the moment. Um, we're playing quite open. Yeah, I just, I just don't see, don't see us sort of winning the next few games. But you never know. It's just you just can't predict what's going to happen at all. Yeah, it was Palace, mate. Yeah. Uh, Stephen, so talk, uh, Lee's touched on the change in the style. There, do you think? Pardew will continue to be stubborn with this expansive style of football against a team of Liverpool's quality or will take a leaf out of Burnley and Manchester United's book and sit a little bit deeper against them? Um, I really don't know. I think I think he'd like to carry on playing in the same way. I didn't wonder after after Leicester. When, you know, we looked quite good at times going forward, but, but in the end we were very well beaten. Um, I wonder if he will look to be a bit tighter. Uh, it depends who's fit, of course, in midfield, whether uh, Pumption's back, what his options are there. Um, but I, you know, I, I, it's difficult to make a case that's getting much out of, out of Saturday. Yeah. And, then, uh, and then Burnley away after. Burnley have been very good at home. It's not, it's not looking great for the next couple of games. Yeah, it's not looking great for about the next seven or eight games. We've got some really, really <laughs> difficult games in there. Um, one thing we do have, though, against them is the ex-striker curse could potentially strike. Benteke's been really unlucky in the last couple of games, hitting the woodwork twice, and we shan't mention the penalty. <laughs> Lee, do you think he can grab one against these older club? He's got to be up for it, right? Oh, I'd absolutely love it if he dived in the last minute in the Holmesdale end, scored a penalty, and celebrated. Like that, that'd be fantastic. Um, but yeah, I don't see any reason why he can't score. But I'm just saying, that's keeping the ball out of the other end. That's another matter altogether. Um, you know the way they're playing at the moment. I don't think we're going to sit back and you know, which we should be doing, hitting them on the counter attack. You know, with us playing such an open, you know, open style of football, I just going to it's just going to leave us open, you know, to some potentially a big you know slaughtering, which you know hopefully doesn't happen. But I'm not sure. You know, I think the only reason, the only reason we're going to beat them 
is getting at their uh, getting at their fullbacks, especially Milner, um, who's playing that position on the left. I think Zaha, you know, can have have some fun there. But um, yeah, the will the will for Zaha, who today of course is posting pictures of him with Neymar on his social networking today. So. Um... Hopefully he's not going to Barcelona or something like that. <laughs> um, right, Stephen, we, be, we talked a lot about fullbacks on the rev- on the review show this week. So, does Kelly continue to play for you, or I can't believe I'm saying this? Does Friars start? I think I think this is one I'd stick with Kelly um, because. Because he is, I think he's still probably you know he's not been great. He's probably still the better defensive player. Uh, Friars is, gives you more going forward and, and has got more legs to get up and down but uh, I'd stick with Kelly for this one I think. I'd be yeah. tempted to Friars at Burnley Yeah and also of course that he's got you know again playing against his former club so he's going to be up for it um, hopefully Martin Kelly will rediscover some form in that one um, in the last few years uh, Dwight Gow and Yannick Balassi have had a great time of it against Liverpool are we, are we going to miss their presence and their curse that they hold over Liverpool Lee? Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, you know, Gale was, you know, they absolutely hated playing against him. Um, you know, he used to bang the goals in. But I don't, you know, don't get downhearted. You know, we've got Benteke. They're not going to be wanting to play against him. I think uh, Liverpool got this new centre-back, which has been playing, who well, doesn't know anything about Benteke um, as much as probably other players like Lovren and um, where the other defenders there. <laughs> um well, yeah, um, you've got obviously Kleinies playing there. Hopefully, they'll play Moreno. That would be a, a good plan. I'd like to see Benteke peeling off against Moreno. <laughs> yeah, but I just don't think you know if we if we're leaving Benteke isolated up front as as we have been knocking like long balls up to him, yeah, you know, it's not gonna not gonna help at all unless you know we've got someone coming in from midfield. So I think the big key is you know with punching back. I think we look look a lot different than what we did last week. Um, hopefully, take. Take Ledley out, but um, I don't know, you know, what the situation is with Punchin at the moment. Mm. That's it. Interesting, Stephen. Do you think um, led taking Ledley out and putting Punchin in, so it'll be Punchin could buy MacArthur? Do you think those three can work together? Yeah, I do. I know. I know some people disagree with this, but I think they can alternate about who stays back and who goes forward. And I, I think that that is, I think, should be our first choice in the field. Ledley, first few games this season. Played above himself, I think, but he's starting to look. I'm, I'm not a massive Ledley fan, and I've had a few good games. I think the last couple of games he's looked poor, and uh, an on form goodbye with MacArthur and Punchin. Got to be a better, better bet. It worked last year, last this time last year. That was the three in midfield, wasn't it? When we was on that good run at the start of last season. Yeah, I mean, in an ideal world, if you can get those three all pulling together and working for the the team in there because obviously we're playing slightly different styles to what we were at that point last season so it's a little bit easier for them to sit and then break out uh, but it'll be interesting to see I think it has to be those three if if it's if we're playing our best players and hopefully Pardew can figure out a way in this, within his new style to get them all firing uh, we are now going to go to a sort of short jingle and then after that we are going to be speaking to our Liverpool fan called Peter from the cop table got something you'd like to get off your chest tweet us now at whole radio Right, we are now joined by Peter Phillips, who is the host of the Cop Table podcast. Welcome to the show, Peter. Thanks very much for having me. No worries, mate. 
Um, right, so how's your start to been to the season? Is it is it looking bright over there? It's been a it's been a very good start to the season for Liverpool. Yeah, um, apart from the little blip that we had down at Burnley earlier on in the season when. Um, we went down to two nil defeat there, didn't we? Other than that, it's it's been pretty positive. We've had a lot of difficult away games that we've had to um, manoeuvre against. I mean, we've played Arsenal away, Ch- Chelsea away, Tottenham away, and um, come away with seven points from from them games. So to come away from them games with that amount of points is is really positive for Liverpool and, and Jurgen Klopp. So yeah, very very positive start to the season for us. Okay, um, you've had a couple of blanks in there this season, being the Burnley game and the United game. It seems a bit weird yeah. from the outside. With you, know, you seem so free scoring. So, what what was the secret in those games? For because obviously that's something that we're going to want to clutch onto this this coming Saturday. Well, to, to be honest, the Burnley game it, it was ridiculous. It was they had something like eighty one percent possession and about 30-odd shots on goal, but it, it was just one of them games where Liverpool could have been, could have played till till midnight and he wouldn't have scored. It was just, it was unbelievable. Whereas the United game was a lot different. Um, first half, United seemed to, to have a lot more control of the game than what Liverpool did and, and basically played with two banks of four. They nearly got men behind the ball and and uh, I'm frustrated Liverpool. But second half, they came out against United and, and had a couple of chances there and Looked the more likely team to to have won the game, and um, yeah, the second half performance was a lot better than the first half. But um, other than them two games, we we've proved that we we can score goals. Obviously, we tend to leak goals as well. It usually, won a game. We've only had a couple of clean sheets, so that's um, that's one issue that needs to be resolved. Um, with the new pair of Matip and, and Lovren and, and Carrius, the goalkeeper, it's it, it's one of them situations where they're just all waiting to bed in it, the new playing together. But the guy Matip's come in really and done really well. Um, he's one that's impressed me. But yeah, like you say, um, on the attacking side of things, it's Liverpool can be a free scoring team, and um, hopefully we'll do that against you guys on Saturday. <laughs> Okay, so I get the general feeling around Jurgen Klopp is now positive because I felt like there was a little bit of a, a move, not a massive move away, but you know, everyone from the start when he first joined was Klopp's amazing. Then you know, results didn't go too well for a period of time. But is it a unified front behind Klopp? Most definitely, yeah. Um, since the start of the season, like I said, we only had the, the couple of um, indifferent results, but. You can see by the way he is on the touchline. You can see the way he is in the media and, and the way he relates to the fans and his passion that he's got for the club and in his interviews that he says all the right things, doesn't he? And just like the other day, he said that he wouldn't mind if um, one of the transfer windows further down the line, he, he didn't have to sign a player and he'd be happy to bring basically 11 scousers through the system. Um and to say that to Liverpool, it's like music to the ears of Liverpool fans, isn't it? Even though the majority are crying out for signings, left, right, and centre, every window asking for this player and that player, Jurgen's basically turned around and, and put it straight past him and said, "Listen, if if there's players there who's coming through the youth academy, who's good enough, I don't have to go into the transfer market, and, and I'd be happy to do that." Well, how ironic would it be if? Uh... 
a German bought through 11 scouters that won England the World Cup. <laughs> uh, <laughs> obviously, obviously uh, we purchased a certain Christian Benteke off you in the summer. Uh, you got any extra yeah, yeah. extra fears going on there for this Saturday? Well, to be honest, I usually would, but um, Christian does not like he's in, in the best shape at the moment, does he? He's, um, he missed that penalty, didn't he? And then he had, was it a header on, did he score on Saturday? No, he's hit, he's hit the woodwork. No, yeah, I thought so. Yeah, time. he hit the post yeah. from ahead of didn't he? Oh. But yeah, like you say, it's it's one of them situations, isn't it, where the pl- a player going back up against his ex club nine times out of ten, they usually do um, um, fire against that that club. And obviously, Christian's gonna have a point to prove, isn't he? That Jurgen Klopp didn't play him in as many games last season, and he, he's he's gonna have that extra incentive to go out there against Liverpool and. And, and put the ball in the back of the net against us and um, and rub our noses in it just the way um, he'd like to. But yeah, Christian Benteke, we you can't argue with, with the lad when he played for Liverpool. He he put in 100% week in, week out whenever he, he was on the pitch. And he was unfortunate at times. And it, it's just as one-on-one situations for me where, where he seems to lack. I mean, he's brilliant in the air. He can hold the ball up. He's a big lad. He's got a little bit of pace as well, so it's just as one-on-one situations. If he, if he can um, turn his game round and and start finishing them chances, then he he could go on to be one of one of the top ten strikers in the world, in my opinion. If um, if he could just adjust that into his game. Wow. Well, I mean, he certainly suits our style of play um, quite a bit more direct than Liverpool's, obviously. And he started he started well. I mean, the penalty miss doesn't really do injustice. It's obviously what gets seen a lot, but um, he's, he's, he's putting some good performance for us. On a, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being very happy, how happy are you that Dwight Gow and Yannick Balassi have gone? Well, yeah, as, as I spoke to the lads on the uh, from the Eagles Beak podcast on on Monday on our on our podcast, one of the, the questions I asked them was um, was a similar one about Dwight Gale, and I said he's one of the, the guys you you could bring off the bench. He's he's a little live wire. He knows where the goal is. And I asked the same question: was was you happy to lose him? And in my opinion, it would have been better to keep all of them, even though. He would have spent a, the majority of his time on the bench. He's he's always good to um, to have it as a substitute, isn't he? And, and to bring on, especially when the opposition teams are tiring and you need some fresh legs. Like Gale, probably that perfect striker who you want to bring onto the pitch. And he's he scored some good goals at Newcastle, hasn't he? And um, and the lad Balassi playing at playing at Everton now. Um, he's had a decent start from what from what I can hear from the Evertonians. Or a speed too. They're, they're quite happy with him. Um, Although he's not pulled up any trees at the moment, he's he's put putting in seven out of ten performances and he, he's doing okay there. So it's yeah, it's probably um, it's more of a, a case of the Balassi not playing against us because he's one that's tortured us in the past, isn't he? Yeah, I'm sure Lobren still has sleepless nights about him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right, so we after we talk to you, we discuss our uh, classic match. We put a vote out on Twitter and uh, pick some. Basically, a classic match between the two sides that we discuss and remember. It's been a bit of a controversy this week because uh, Chris Dambour, as we call it, the 3 3, has just picked <laughs> uh, the 4 3 semi final from 1990 in the FA Cup semi final. Does that surprise you? Um, it does, but my, I, I wouldn't. Um, Neither of them two are my favourite games against Crystal Palace. Do you want me to tell you which one mine is? I'm guessing this would be the one that actually got one vote. <laughs> I'm assuming a Liverpool fan voted for it. Was it? Would it be the nine 0 by any chance? 
That's the one, the nine nil performance at Anfield when John Aldridge threw his boots into the crowd. Yeah, <laughs> that's my favourite Crystal Palace performance of all time. So back to this uh, weekend, and what, we'll end on what you, what's your prediction? Um, I think it's going to be a tight game. I think with uh, Scott Dan, looks like he's going to be returning for you guys, doesn't he? And um, I don't know about punching whether he's going to be he's going to be fit, but yeah, I think it'll be a tight game. Obviously, it's a it's a tight ground, isn't it? Sellers Park. It's it won't really suit Liverpool's style of play, where we like to play an expansive way and make the pitch big. Obviously, Crystal Palace are going to going to be having a, a tight formation, probably play like a similar to. Um, Similar to United, won't like a four-three-two-one or a four-five-one, and and look to it Liverpool on the break. But if um, if all goes to plan and Liverpool players as, as they have done in in previous away performances, sometimes it helps us to play away because the the home team has to come out. Where as you've seen in the last couple of games at Anfield, when the teams turn up, they they basically come and and look to get that point, don't they? And as they say, park the bus, but. With Palace being the home team, they're going to have to come out and have a little go at Liverpool for the for the sake of their own fans, aren't they? And that might just play into Liverpool's hands. So I can just see us um, sneaking a victory. I'll, I'll say two one Liverpool. Okay, well, Peter, thank you so much for joining us, mate. And remember, you can listen to Peter on the Cop Table podcast, which I'm assuming you can find on iTunes and so on, right, mate? Yeah, you can get it on iTunes, on um, on Copcast, and um, yeah, you can follow us on Twitter. We are at the cop underscore table uh, or you can follow myself at Peter Phillips underscore and you can find all our, all our content on there we've actually got ex-international um, player Jim McGilton coming on tomorrow night with um, our ex-Liverpool pundit who's on with us Nick Tanner each week so just give um, them lads a little plug there for tomorrow Brilliant stuff mate thanks again and we'll be in contact later in the season Brilliant thanks very much for having me lads and um, enjoy the game on Saturday hopefully not too much though <laughs> Cheers, thank you. Thank you. Homesdale Radio, sponsored by FanDuel.co.uk. The next generation of fantasy football. Right, we've heard um, Peter's prediction there. We're going to get to hear your guys' predictions now, and then we'll go on to Stephen and Lee's predictions after. So on Twitter, let's see what we've had from John, who is at I Deserve a Beer. Kicks off with. Hard to be optimistic about the last two matches. I'll be happy to walk off with a point. Dan Quarterbyan has gone for 3-1 to Liverpool. But Joe Quinlan has gone for a 1-0 smash and grab for Palace. Brummy Eagle has plumped for a 3-1 to Palace. And he said, yes, I have been drinking. <laughs> uh, CPFC Pete says 1-4. I'm afraid. I dread to think what their forwards will do to Kelly and Waldy. Uh, Brig. Big Brolin has gone for 2-2 with Scott Dan to level late on. And Harry Moss, Harry Moss has gone for 8-0 to Liverpool. Um, right, right. before I go into you guys, I'm going to hit you with some stats. This will be the 33rd league meeting between the two clubs. That seems pretty low. They're usually a lot higher than that. Eight wins, seven draws and 17 losses. Our biggest wins are 3-1 twice, both in the 14-15 season when we did the double over them. And obviously, we all know what their biggest win against us is. Uh, Palace have won four, three of the last four matches in the league and have lost just one of the last four league meetings at Sellers. So there is some hope in that there. Andre Mariner will be the referee. We win 33% of the time when he's the referee. 
But of course, he was in charge of the same fixture last season when he awarded that infamous Benteke penalty right at the end. So, And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. So, um, what did we have last week? Did we have any predictions correct? I don't think we did. Um, I've got the scoreline right, just the wrong way round. <laughs> so, we're back to our usual bad best. But you two have got a clean slate. So, Stephen, what do you think it's going to be on Saturday, mate? Yeah, I can't... Any bit of logical thought of it can see nothing but Liverpool win. But I've seen enough times we've beaten Liverpool. Without I'm going to be optimistic and say 2-1, Benteke and Dan with the goals. Okay, and Lee, what about you? Yeah, I agree with Stephen. I can't see anything other than a Liverpool win, but you know, you never know. Palace get Sellers rocking Saturday night on TV. Um, yeah, I'm going to go for a draw, just to try and sort of be a bit more optimistic. <laughs> I need numbers from you, mate, just so we can one, tick you off of the score. One one. One all. Right. Um, I'm I'm just going to go for 2-0 Liverpool and not mix too much more about that. Right, next up, we will be remembering our classic match that you voted for on Twitter. As I already mentioned earlier, Chris Ball kicked the 1990 FA Cup semi-final by 49% of the vote to 48% of the vote, with the rest of it being divided between the 2-0 FA Cup replay win at Anfield back in 2000 and I want to say three. And the 9-0 that I just put on there, just for a laugh. It's all about forgetting the immediate past, maintaining focus, sustaining self-belief and lots of luck now. The only time you fail is when you fall down and stay down, a modern philosopher has written. For Liverpool, there can be no more stumbles. They have to win here and hope Manchester City slip up. Five wins in six league games for Crystal Palace. Only the defeat here against Manchester City blotting their copybook recently. Liverpool looking for a club record seventh away Premier League win on the spin. Sturridge from the right-hand side. Goes for goal with a bench effort. And it deflected away. It's a corner kick. Rolls inside. Came off the head of Delaney, it's a corner kick. Shaped well there, Daniel Sturridge, out to his 23 goals. It's 10 games this season. Free header at the far post and Liverpool have the lead. And it's Joe Allen who gets it. Crystal Palace simply switched off again at the back. And that is the goal that keeps their title hopes alive. They know that. Allen just crept to the far post. A 
and who should have been there to pick him up? Reeled away from the near post and heads easily in. Was Ledley blocked off as he went to cover him? A header from the smallest player on the pitch makes it Crystal Palace nil, Liverpool one. Crystal Palace are pressing Liverpool higher in this second half. They still need to work harder. This third, Gerrard, right football, picks out Sturridge. Again, he tries to go inside the defender and get the shot off, it's deflected, it's two! He gave them a warning moments ago. The goalkeeper pushed it onto the post on that occasion, but this time, no thwarting Daniel Sturridge. And Liverpool go 2 it up with 53 minutes on the clock. Beautiful ball to him, rolled inside, the shot took a deflection, but I think Spironi might have been beaten anyway, the way he cut the shot back. I don't think Spironi would have got there. Second will represent a remarkable season for Liverpool, but they're still after the title. They're after more goals here. Sterling, Suarez, it's three, and that was beautiful. Two goals in two minutes from the SAS combination. Sturridge and Suarez. Played it to Sterling, the pass in behind the defender and swept in first time. Goal number 31 for the Footballer of the Year. Alan Pardew watching on, scored the winner in Crystal Palace's FA Cup semi-final, ripping victory against Liverpool back in 1990. It's Delaney, oh it's shot! Oh it took a deflection off Johnson and it's in! Crystal Palace have one back! 78 minutes gone. Liverpool will think this is sloppy defending. And who knows? Could have a part to play. Cruel deflection off Johnson, but it's Delaney's goal. Skirtle. Terrifically entertaining second half. Square to Allen. Blocked initially by Dan. Squeezed out by Ledley. And now Balassi can run Liverpool beyond Johnson into the open spaces, Gales up alongside him, Murray powering to get up to the far side of the penalty area, Balassi needs to make up his mind, Gale, it's 2-3! Can there be any more surprises in this wonderful riddle of a campaign? Liverpool can't quite believe it, and Crystal Palace breaking from a Liverpool corner, broke decisively. Yedina, Murray wants it played up to him, Here's Ward to Delaney and switch it to the right and stop Dan. Up it goes to Glenn Murray with the chest on. Here's Gale! It's 3-3! Astonishing! Can this season provide any more thrills and spills? It's all gone wrong. The title is disappearing. Three goals in nine minutes from Senna's Park to Eastlands. Football fans of Crystal Palace and Manchester City are celebrating. And Chelsea too. A goal of huge importance from Super Sub Dwight He cuts a lonely figure now. And though Liverpool go top of the table, two goals from Dwight Gale in the space of seven minutes. Leaves Steven Gerrard 
and the whole of the Liverpool team and all their supporters fearing the worst. In two games, the dream has vanished into an unbelievable... Right, so it's the 5th of May 2014 and 25,261 people and the millions of watching at home literally have no idea what it's about to follow. To put some context around the game, Liverpool were aiming for a 7th seventh, seventh straight away win, which would have been a new club record. They were level on six wins with their club record. And the three points that that victory would bring would send them back to the top of the league over Man City by three points but City had played one fewer game. Uh, we lined up with Spironi in goal, with Mariapa Ward, Dan Delaney in defence. We had KG, Jednak, Punchen, Ledley and Balassi in midfield and Shamak lead in the line-up top on his own, whilst Liverpool had Mignolet in goal, Johnson, Flanagan, Sacco, Skirtle, Lucas Allen, Gerard Sturridge, Suarez and Sterling. Quite a formidable front line there. Um... What did we think going into this one, guys? So I'll start with you, Stephen. Did after losing two 0 to Man City and coming off the back of the five wins in a row, did you did you fancy us in this one, or did you think Liverpool were going to blow us away a bit? Yeah, it, it felt it felt before and you say about the Man City game that after the brilliant end of the season and the great you know great survival, it was just going to peter out. We've really not turned up against Man City, and I was worried it was going to be the same against Liverpool. And we'd end with two home defeats, which would be a bit of a yeah, a sort of damp squib of, a, of an ending to what had been an amazing second half of the season. So I wasn't optimistic for it, no. Mm. And what about you, Lee? Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's more of an end-of-season sort of feel to the game, wasn't it? It didn't really matter what was going to happen. Um, last home game of the season, after a fantastic run, you know, great that well, great job what Pulis did. Um, yeah, so it's just a matter of just not petering out, putting up a good performance against them and um, you know, seeing what would happen. Yeah, well, so at the start of the game, um, first 20 minutes, Sacco missed an absolute sitter from a header, uh, from a corner for them, and Johnson looped a header just over Julian Sproni's crossbar as Liverpool came out looking for an early goal. And it eventually came from an 18 minutes, and it was the first time Palace had conceded from a set piece under Tony Pulis. And the shortest man on the pitch, Joe Ellen, pops up to head it home. Um but the rest of the half, not much that happened really, uh, just kind of petered out a bit. Punch and, and Jednak both forced Mignolet into save some range. But no one could ex- add any more to the scoreline. Um, Lee, you were watching this one in Australia, right? Yeah, so I was, um, I was over in Australia for, for a bit. So I'm up about half past four in the morning um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, done yeah. Don't know what I let myself in for, you know, three 0 down, and um, which we'll come on to, I'm sure, in a bit. But um, yeah, just getting up there really early in the morning. Things you do for Palace, <laughs> indeed. So, what was the sort of feeling around half time? I'm sure were you with all the Sydney supporters club out there? Yeah, yeah, with them, and um, yeah, the feeling didn't really matter, did it? As I said, you know, the end, end of the season, you know, it really didn't matter about about the score. It's just about putting up a good performance for the fans and. Yeah, nothing was really... No, no, there was no worry or anything at all. All right, start of second half. Sproni brilliantly tips uh, uh, Daniel Sturridge effort onto the post. And Suarez blasts the rebound over the crossbar. 
But then it's just a few minutes later, Sturridge finds a way past Roney with the help of a massive deflection from Damian Delaney to make it 2-0. The, later on, the dubious goals panel would award the goal to Damian Delaney. And just two minutes later, Suarez makes it 3-0. Now, Stephen, you were you were properly going to games. Were you at the 9-0? No, I didn't go to the 9-0. I was... Um... I think, if I remember correctly, they changed the date of it for some reason. And, and I was on holiday in Cornwall when it happened. I remember very well because it was before you got scores sort of any moment. And we got back from the pub, switched on the news and heard we'd lost 9-0. And it was distraught. You know, <laughs> Except my one mate, who I still go to Palace with, said, oh, we'll stay up now. And I was like, how do you work that out? And he said, oh, no, it's such a big defeat. We'll have to change things and make change it. And he was... He was proved right. Went and signed Nigel Martin as a result. Well, uh, and, and, and Andy Thorne, yeah. They were yeah. important signings, yeah. Yeah, so what about uh, when when Suarez, that's his 31st goal of the season he scores there, when he makes it 3-0, were you worried that the scoreline might become a bit more of a cricket score? I was. I mean, as Lee said, you know, it's not... It didn't matter. So I wasn't, I wasn't really worried. And he knew it was the end of the season. It just felt a bit of a... You know, the season's kind of petering out, which felt a bit sad given how good it had been, you know, beating Chelsea, having those five wins in a row. It just felt, oh, finishing with a big defeat to Liverpool feels a bit, yeah, but I wasn't, I wasn't particularly worried because it didn't happen. Right, so um, <laughs> I looked back uh, through my uh, match reports on my website and found uh, <laughs> a 3-0 down. I looked into a, I looked into a Liverpool forum that night. And he, they said, 3-0 down and still playing with four or five at the back. That's why I hate Tony Pulis. Someone else said, to be fair, at this point, he is playing to avoid further humiliation. It's football without ambition or style. Uh, and then someone else said, why were we ever worried about this fixture? We could get five or six here. So fast forward to the 78th minute and... Goodness knows why Damien Delaney is so, up, so far up the pitch, but he lets fly of his left foot which he later says was a clearance because he was worried about the pace of Sturridge and Suarez in behind him. Takes a deflection off Johnson and that flies into the top corner. Uh, Lee, did you have any thoughts that from that point on that we, we might get something out of the game? Um, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's just a matter of just keeping the score a bit more respectable. Um, when when Suarez you know, wheeled away after the third goal, went in, grabbed the ball and ran back to the centre circle, you thought, you know, how many are Liverpool going to get? And I think, you know, the Liverpool fans are saying, we want four, we want five, etc., etc. You know, it was mm. going to get a bit embarrassing. So that was just to keep the score down with um, Delaney's, Delaney's goal. Yeah, little did we know what was going to happen in the next 10 minutes. Yeah, but the noise, yeah, noise went up a little bit in the stadium. Well, a little bit. It was already very, very loud. Um, same old Liverpool forum that I just mentioned. Quote from there, so fed up with Glenn Johnson. Uh, I've been fed up with Glenn Johnson for years, if I'm honest. I think he's useless. But um, Julian Sproni performed some heroic straight after the goal, tips a Coutinho effort over the bar. And from the result in corner, it, uh, ball bumps around a bit. Ledley rugby tackle Stephen Gerrard probably should have been a penalty. And uh, the ball drops to Ledley. Now, you know, you. You're under a lot of pressure from a corner. Most players would just hump it clear. But Ledley produces a lovely little pass to release Balassi. And as Martin Tyler said on the com commentary, Balassi is the right man for Palace here. Knocks, knocks the ball downfield, knocks it past Glenn Johnson. Now, Stephen, you were in the stadium that day like I was. And 
the noise when Balassi went past Glenn Johnson, I always remember it just sending tingles down my spine. It was so loud. Um, what did you think? Did you think he was going to yeah. go and t- come out with the end product or the end of, at the end of it, or do the same old Janet Balassi and kick it? Yeah, I probably, probably thought the same old Janet Balassi, but the quality of the pass and then the quality of the finish, the way Gail opened Cody up and put it in, and yeah. I mean, in fact, you say what it feel like at three one. I I I turned to. Same, the same mate who I talked about the 9 0. And I said to him, it'd be hilarious if we got a second to put it back to 3 2, just to, you know, just, just to make them worry. I didn't know where I could see was coming back. I just thought, if you get a second, that would really, really worry them. And when that in, went in, suddenly you think, we're going to do this. You can just see, you know, Liverpool are going to fall apart. Yeah, you certainly could. You just, they were just dropping deeper and deeper and had no real answer to what was going on. Back in the Liverpool forum, ultimately, we aren't deserving champions with this leaky defence, and I'll accept that. Palace have come alive, and this is why we were worried about this fixture. Um, seven minutes later, and you know, with, uh, Yannick Balassi's got himself into a couple of promising positions in just beforehand, and just misplaced a pass at the end. And as I said, Liverpool were dropping deeper and deeper, and Scott Pan picks the ball up just inside the Liverpool half, and. Glenn Murray with Dwight Gale close to him just pulls off his defender, pulls a, a Liverpool defence all out of shape, and. Lee, that's that's that pass off his chest. Oh. You, you never see that sort of scene. Well, in fact, you know, I, I'd imagine Ben Teke is capable of something like that, but it's an unbelievable pass, isn't it? Oh, unbelievable! It's ridiculous the amount of you know that he got it on his chest just to play Gale through, and uh, just yeah, lovely ball from Dan. It's just textbook. It's absolutely fantastic. And I know I remember Tony Pulis saying, you know, Liverpool. You know, he he, he sensed, you know. They're a bit dodgy in defence, and I think once that you know first and second went in, I was only going to be there's only going to be one team who's going to go on and get the third, and then um yeah that that goal unbelievable great finish again by Gale. You know you mentioned the first goal, but you know that sort of half volley on his left foot, you know it's incredible. Yeah, and and obviously again back to the commentary, the famous Liverpool have caved in line. Uh, just uh, in, absolutely incredible. Um, back in the Liverpool forum. <laughs> I've never seen us capitulate like this. Absolutely furious beyond words at this gutless pile of beep we have on the pitch right now. And then someone else just ended with, now I know how Milan felt in 2005, and which is very fitting as the game went on to be dubbed Cristan Ball. Stephen, <laughs> did you think all the hard work was undone when the ball drops to Victor Moses six yards from goal? Yeah, I thought, I thought he was going to, but... I mean, this is the point about the, the, there was no tension. Um, if he'd scored, it was, still would have been a great a great night. But when he when he when he uh, air kicks it, it's brilliant. You just could see you could see that it was just going to be our night. And we were going to get the point and, and ruin their uh, their fading hopes of winning the league. Mm, we had a li- we had a little breakaway chance where um, again it's Balassi gallops clear and. Mm. Finds Murray and he just can't get the free ball through to Tomins because that would have just been Tomins capping the night off, you know, being Paul Wins' his son would have been something special. But um, we were just unfortunate the game wasn't two minutes longer because if it was, as Delaney has said in an interview before, well, we know we would have got a winner and I, th- I think he would be right. So <laughs> I don't even know if I need to ask this question. Did, did anyone feel any remorse for Luis Suarez? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought not. Um, I think looking at Gerard when he um kissed the camera, and he you know they had the camera on Gerard, didn't they? After the game, he sort of yeah. pulled, pulled it away. Yeah, get away. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, it just poor, poor old, poor old Stevie G. <laughs> he must just look at that and be, why didn't I just keep my mouth shut and just keep calm? But he did not. At the end he of must that hate game, us. He must hate us. At the end of that game, obviously, at the time, we all thought it signalled the end of Julian Speroni, if you remember. It was, you could just tell that Tony Pulis was going to bring in a lump of a goalkeeper. He'd already done it with Hennessy and Hennessy turned out the following weekend against Fulham. And I genuinely remember at the time, you know, he was clapping the fans. You could tell he was very, very emotional. Mila Yednak was hugging him. And I genuinely thought that was going to be the last time that we saw Jules. Obviously, now with um, hindsight, we know that it wasn't. But um, God, it was it was, <laughs> it was, was a great end to that 3-3. So I had to walk around on the pitch by all of the team and just the atmosphere that was going on. Liverpool, quite a lot of Liverpool fans hung around to like, see what was going on. And it must have just been... An amazing thing to experience from from the stands because I just just know being there in the moment it was uh, you'd, you'd known that you had just witnessed something special on that night. Uh, right, so we'll we'll touch a little bit on the controversy of this game winning the vote over the four three. Now you were at the four three, right, Stephen? I was, yeah, yeah. You, you lucky man, you. <laughs> um, for you, what? Yeah, I mean, which one wins for you? Oh, the four-three, without a doubt. It's the best, one of the best games of football ever. I went, I went with uh, a group of people, including my brother, who sports Arsenal. And for years, he always said it was his greatest regret was the best game he ever saw wasn't an Arsenal game. <laughs> it was just brilliant. I mean, the three-three was great fun. It was probably one of the most fun nights I've had at Sellers Park. But it didn't matter. The four-three was the FA Cup semi-final. They'd beaten us nine-nil and they'd beaten us two-nil that season. When when the first goal went in, I was my reaction was just we finally scored against them I didn't I didn't think we were going to go on and win because it was just so good that we'd actually scored against them and to, to win that game 4-3 I don't think because we because we'd had that 9-0 and that 2-0 I don't think they could have been bigger underdogs than us I think a, a, you know a lower division team would have been given more chance than you were that day mm-hmm. and first half looked like it was going to plan and then that start the second half was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen on a football pitch John Pemberton going down the wing eventually Mark Wright smashing it in yeah that's that's the best game ever and it's a travesty, but too many young people, as you, you said on, yeah. as you said on. Yeah, well, I think there's sort of right. So I asked around um, various social media platforms and forums, uh, notably the BBS, for people's opinions. Fanning Teagle on the BBS said, "I think the classic match vote is more likely a generational thing." While Cristiano Ball was an amazing evening, reaching our first ever FA Cup final after completing such an amazing comeback after the nine-nil defeat will always be the most amazing match in the club's history. Davey 64 also on the BBAS said it's like the opposite of the Brexit vote. I'm old and don't like to undermine the youth today with it was better in our day line, but I have to make it an exception here. That win at Villa Park has yet to be eclipsed, but I would love to witness one that does. I suppose you really did have to be there to fully appreciate it. Having said that, Chris Lambeau was a mental evening and will live long in the memory. And then finally, we've got Hambo of the, you know, the, the other host, the one from the Review podcast. <laughs> it was the first Palace game I watched as a supporter, but only on TV. I can only imagine what it would like to have been like to have been there. In my head, I can't think that it would be better than the 3-1 or the 2-0 at the Amex versus Brighton because they feel as good as it is possible to feel. But then I think back to how it hooked me when I was a kid and how beating a team that had smashed you 9-0 in such a topsy-turvy game at a neutral ground must have been truly unique. The 3-3 is, however, one of the most spine-tingling atmospheres I've ever been in. Possibly my favourite at Sellers. It was just inevitable when Damo scored that we were going to get at least a point. Incredible noise. 
I don't envy the choice and happy I'm not having to deal with tonight's preview podcast recording. Um, right, so I've gone and sat on the other side of the fence to have a look at it from the kids, you know, from the people who would not obviously not been at 1990, not been born or way too young to understand that game. And the first thing I wanted to pick up on was the quality of the two teams uh, in comparison. So everyone's talking about Liverpool being much better in 1990 than they were in the 2013-14 season. But this was right at the back end of Liverpool's you know, dominance that it was. I know they won the league that season, but when you actually compare it, in 1990, Liverpool were top, Palace were 15th. In 2014, Liverpool were top and Palace were 11th. In, uh, nine, in 1990, Liverpool were averaging 1.9 points per match versus 1.25 for Palace. In 2014, Liverpool were averaging 2.22 points per match versus 1.27 of Palace. And in 1990, Liverpool were averaging 1.8 goals a game versus 2.6 goals per game in 2014. So Liverpool of 2014, based on league performance in the two seasons, were better than the 1990 incarnation by quite a distance, while Palace were identical records, effectively, with 1.25 and 1.27 points per match. People also point to the fact that uh, Liverpool won 9-0 earlier in the season. Now, anyone who was at Anfield in 2013-14 <laughs> will know that we could have quite easily lost that game by many, many more when we only lost 3-1. But Liverpool just visibly took their foot off the gas at half-time and didn't slaughter us when they should have, really. Um, I believe that... I believe that look, 1990 should have won is... It's the game that I wish I was at more than any other Palace game that I've missed in my life. Um, it remains, you know, it's one of the great, it's not just the greatest Palace games of all time, one of the greatest British games of all time. And, you know, it's was winning through to our first ever FA Cup final, as Stephen pointed out earlier, versus just the end of season 3-3 league game, which, you know, whilst it's fun to prevent Liverpool from winning the league and whatever it was still at the end of the day just a point albeit achieved in fantastic circumstances but the reason I've pointed out all of the above with the stats and so on there is because I don't really like older fans that there's been so much just dismissing of it just really really horrible like belittling like you know nothing kind of attitude and I don't think that's really really the right thing to do you know you, they they're young. They they can't they can't make themselves older by default. They just can't be older, you know. And for them, Cristian Ball was a special moment. They'll probably go in and witness more special things as Palace fans. Um, you know, for example, I look back and I, I wasn't at the four three. So out of the two games, I actually voted for the two 0 FA Cup win over Anfield, which I know you were at Lee. Um, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I was there as well. I was at that as well. Yeah, that and you got you know we we were. A terrible side in in complete transition between um, you know it was the season before we got promoted but we were just a, a very very bitty side and not very good and Liverpool we had ten were, men as well didn't we yeah we had ten men Dougie Freeman elbowed hip here in the face and you know Liverpool went on won the Champions League a couple of years ago with effectively a couple of years later sorry with effectively the same team so Liverpool were a really really strong team and that that night was a really really special night for me and you know it's just moments so. Appreciate each other, guys. We're all Palace fans. We all um, we are talking classic matches, and people are going to have different ideas of classic matches and so on. So um, I don't think there is any doubt that we can say the three-three wasn't a classic match. And don't worry 
later on this season when we have the return leg at Liverpool we will discuss the 4-3 get in touch with the show all of our contact details can be found at holradio.net forward slash contact right that's almost us done for this preview podcast um, a bit of admin before we go this Saturday sees the Australian rendition of the Robert Eaton Memorial Fund match where Palace fans take on Brighton fans to raise money in memory of Robert Eaton, a Brighton fan that sadly lost his life in the Twin Tower attacks of 2001. This game will be at the King's School in Parramatta. Is that right, Lee? You've been to Australia. I don't even yes, know that's that. right, mate. <laughs> and it kicks off at 11 o'clock, and in true Aussie style, there will be a barbie with beers and a raffle. Uh, former Palace player and Australia international Craig Foster will be turning out for Palace. So it'll be worth, well worth the trip if you are in that part of the world. Uh, search for Crystal Palace FC Sydney supporters on Facebook for more information. Now, I played in the Palace in the Renf match uh, this year for Palace, obviously, against Brighton. <laughs> uh, it was... A, it was just an incredible experience, really. It was brilliant to be able to play with Andy Johnson and Sean Derry and play against Brighton at the Amex for such a great cause to raise a brilliant amount of money and even more so to come back from 2-0 down to win 3-2 and witness firsthand Andy Johnson scoring a brace as he always does against Brighton and walking into the changing room after the game and the whole changing room, including Sean Derry singing Andy Johnson's magic was a special moment and hopefully as you know, Craig Foss is not such a legend in Palace eyes, but you know, it'll be a big thing for those guys down there and hopefully he'll be able to give them some similar memories and guys win for us, bring home the double. Second and last bit of admin is uh, if you are at the match on Saturday, um, me, Stephen Bridal and Sam Heskiff, who are the editors of Flying High magazine, will be selling our first issue of the season for £1.50. Uh, we weren't about much last season because a lot of printer issues, but we've found a steady supplier now in a Crystal Palace fan as well. Um, and we're aiming for four issues this season. In this edition, Dan Cooper will be addressing the losing of the old guard. You Leap will be discussing money bags Palace in the wake of all of our big transfers. Joe Walker will be professing his undying love for Will. Dan O'Sullivan will be talking about Mandanda and yours truly will be looking at the lack of the action for our academy players. So thanks for listening and remember to tune in on Sunday from 8pm for the Liverpool Review Show. Uh, The podcast version will be out shortly after the show, so late on Sunday night. And obviously you can listen to that throughout the week. This Sunday, Alberts will be your host, I believe, and he will be joined by Alex Penge, Patrick O'Connor, one of the Knicks, I'm not sure which one, and Lee, who's been on tonight, uh, having the second part of his trial. Uh, Remember to head over to the at Hull Radio Twitter account on Tuesday to vote for the classic match to be discussed discussed on next week's podcast. There are certainly a few great options in there for Burnley, although I do feel like maybe I might might need to get some older fans on to discuss that one. We have a new contact for the show also. You can email us now. Look at us moving up in the world. Preview podcasts at wholeradio.net so you can send us praise constructive feedback, news, all are welcome in equal measure, and the best contacts might just get a mention on future shows. So until then, I would like to say a huge thank you to Stephen for joining us, mate, and good luck with your journeys for the rest of the season. Cheers, thanks very much. And remember to look out on our socials for... 
Stephen's details and go and spend money. It's a good cause. And I would also like to say good luck to try this Lee Staples on the review show on Sunday. Good luck, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. No worries. And until then, it's a goodbye from me. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mate's already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.